and welcome to season three of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman. The song you just heard is So What You Want by Beastie Boys, and it is also the walkout song for the next guest on the show, Chris Subulch. So Chris is from Westlake, Ohio, and wrestled at St. Edward High School under legendary head coach Greg Urbis. Chris enlisted in the Air Force and wrestled at the United States Air Force Academy earning team captain as a senior. So Chris now is in the Air Force Reserve and flies for UPS. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Major Chris Subulch. Are you involved in wrestling still at all? Or? Um, I, I've been meaning to, the short answer is no, um, but we moved in Fort Lauderdale. We're about a mile and a half from a school Cardinal Gibbs. It's a high school and they have a pretty good wrestling team. Um, and it's a Catholic high school too. So I went to a Catholic high school. So it'd be, it'd be good. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been meaning to just reach out to their coach and be like, Hey, I can't guarantee you any set number of days, but when I'm here, I can help coach whether it's, you know, like the freshman team and JV or whatever, but I shouldn't be the, the point man for anything just cause I don't know my schedule <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to reach out short, but short answer. Oh, no. so What's that? Yeah. I was just going to say, so you, so you are interested in, in being involved, staying involved in some capacity if you can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's important at every level. Like I have my coaches, I still remember all of them, even the guys who just volunteered and were there like, you know, five day, whether it was just somebody's dad sitting in the corner or something. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So what what are you up to now? So I know you you fly, you fly for UPS. Is that like typical for like? Are you out of the Air Force? No, I'm I'm still in the Air Force Reserves. Okay. Um, my unit is where it's in that near Destin. I you know I actually think I met you. Did you come down and visit Casey? I have before. Yeah. I think you and your brother. We were. I think we all went to Crab Island too. Yeah, that uh, sounds about right. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Steve. Steve must have forgot initially, but um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, my reserve unit's still in the Panhandle, of Florida, like the Destin, Fort Walton Beach area, um, and so I'll go up there uh, once. I try to do every like two months and stuff. Work work with them like once a month. They they allow you to move stuff around if you're out of town, so you can mm-hmm. stack it, so you're not making a trip every four weeks. Yeah, that's a ways. That's a ways from Fort Lauderdale. Isn't it like Fort Lauderdale's all the way down the coast? Like yeah. The tip of Florida by Miami. It's, it's like a nine hour drive. Yeah. It's uh, but I, I fly it. They'll reimburse you a certain amount if you fly or drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so generally if I'm going to go for a week or more, I'll drive. If it's less than a week, I'll just uh, bum a ride from my friends everywhere, you know, be able to like, I'll Uber to their house and then go into work with them or something like that. Just to keep it simple. I don't want to be a burden on them. Yeah. How'd you end up in Fort Lauderdale then? Um, when my wife and I we were getting out of the Air Force, I, I actually had a deployment. She was getting she was in the Air Force. Oh really? She, yeah, and she they essentially told us like you're not gonna do what you want anymore and you're gonna <laughs> go do these things. And my wife was like, No way. And I still had a couple of years of commitment, so my wife just pushed the button, got out of the Air Force, and she got a good job in New York, uh, in Manhattan. And I had about a year and a half left. So I had a deployment. And then 
um, some time. So she was up there in New York. By the time I got out of the Air Force, I was I was moving to New York City to Manhattan in January of 2020. So it was a great time to move into New York City with COVID and everything. Um, so we lived uh, we lived that out for about a little over a year, and we're looking to move to New Jersey and buy a place there just over the river. Mm -hmm. And she was like, "Hey, it was we we honestly had a um like an approval letter for a loan like to to make an offer. It was like mm -hmm. in hand." And then she got a phone call for an interview for a company down in Fort Lauderdale. And I and we both had lived in Florida and we were like, hell yeah, like that's the land of the free down there. Let's let's do it. So so that's and that's how we ended up down there. Yeah. So her job brought us down there. Yeah. And you both were in there for us. How did that work out? That had to be I mean, were you both like in the same squadron or like I I'm just trying to wrap my head around no, nah, we we dated we did the long distance dating thing. I was in Alaska actually, and she was in New Mexico. And then we broke up once and then got back together around the time I was going to Florida. Mm -hmm. for my unit. And then she actually was going to Alabama. So we kind of got back together for that. It was much easier to manage. Yeah. Um, we got, um, we got married at that point. And then they, uh, then they move you together. Well, they don't have to, but they do everything they can to keep together. Yeah. Um, and so we did that. And then she came down to Florida and we were there together. I forget when she moved down, but we were at least in Florida together for like five years or something. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe four. I can't remember, but, but, uh, yeah. So they'll, the, in the Air Force, they call it joint spouse. So if your spouse is in the Air Force as well, it gives you not I don't want to say preferential assignment treatment, but if it takes a certain approval level to separate you. So you, you don't get a better you don't get a better chance at other assignments, mm -hmm. but they will put your spouse where you are. And actually, that was the issue is that since I was a pilot, she was a contracting officer mm -hmm. and I was like an average pilot, you know, like just a guy and. <laughs> And she was this phenomenal contracting officer, like number one in her area of work and for her age group and stuff. And and I was like, well, I can follow her. Like you guys mm -hmm. should let her, because if you don't, if you don't give her the career path that's gonna challenge her and um, and really give her the progression that she wants, like you're gonna lose her. And our commanders and everybody was on board. And then somebody above them was just like, nope. That's not how it works. She follows the pilot, and here's our plan for you. And it was like, wow. okay, well now you're losing, now you're losing both. So yeah, you guys. And that's kind of like a fairly common story with people. Like when you yeah. hold the cards, when you're coming up on your commitment, and you hold the cards. The Air Force is like, they don't they don't know who's holding the cards. Mm -hmm. Like dude, you could you they could have if they would have given us one more assignment together, we would have been at the point where they would have had us for twenty years, like Steve. Mm hmm. I was going, I was wondering, yeah, so you're in the reserves now. So you, you were in for how long then? I did uh, about, about 13 years active. Okay. And you were an average, what's an average pilot? Like, I don't like, to me, well, a pilot is like, come on, you know, like. I mean, I say it like that. I, I don't like, I've flown with dudes who I consider phenomenal pilots. You know what I mean? I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like oh man, but I've also flown with dudes who I'm like, <laughs> like. <laughs> 
we need to keep an eye on this guy, you know? <laughs> so like, I'm, I consider myself like I'm safe. I can get everything done that needs to be done. Uh, kind of like I'll, you know, I would describe my wrestling career as average too. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so like, that's kind of the thing. And, and you, I don't know, like it just, that's, that's just kind of how I, and especially in my, in terms of my career uh, in the air force, like there's some people who, you know, they see like, Oh, we're going to do this, this, and this for you. And there was a point where I had a, I had a, something happened, nothing bad. Like we just had this bad commander and I don't want to go into it. And Mm -hmm. he kind of like derailed a bunch of people from the prospects of like higher level promotions and leaderships just because the guy was kind of a bag of ass. Yeah. Am I allowed to swear? I guess what's the, what's the, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's keep diving into, to your ambitions and your hobbies and stuff. Um, not that piloting is a hobby, but, uh, more background about you. I read, I found a media guide from 2007, 2008. I think it was the craziest ambition was, yeah, you know where I'm going. You want to pro- you wanted to produce movies. I did, man. I th- I so like my life was going to be going two completely different directions. Mm-hmm. At the end of high school, I was big into art. I was great at sculpting and painting and some stuff. And and my high school had a really good art program. And our teacher, if you were good, she just let you do your own thing. She was like, as long as you come to this class and you are making art. Like, you know, but there was people who were just there to get an art credit and she made them yep. do the, hey, okay, make your pinch pot or do whatever. Um, but like, if you were good, she gave you free reign as long as you were making art. And luckily my brother, he was even better than me. He set the tone. So he went, mm-hmm. he just went in there and did his own thing. And it sort of like set the tone of like, if you're a good artist, you can go in there. But anyway, so I wanted to do that. And I was, I applied to schools like NYU, Syracuse, like these sort of East Coast like very liberal artsy schools mm-hmm. and then like all the military academies and there's like <laughs> there's no like middle ground you know right. like like somebody i you know my actually i think it was my art teacher in high school it's like well you know there's photographers like you could you could be a photographer and i was like well yeah but i'm not gonna join the army and be a photographer like mm-hmm. you know like that's not my you know that, i don't know it's just that was my thing i was like if i'm gonna join the army i'm gonna try to be a a green beret and if i'm gonna join the air force i'm gonna try to do something awesome like and that was like you know and then i'll figure the art thing out later so but i just always i just always kind of like like look at stuff and i'm like man like i could uh write a pretty funny sitcom but or something like that you know just a, a good movie i mean i haven't written anything so nothing yeah that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how i think about it yeah so it's on pause for now yeah i would say so yeah we, <laughs> but i do i do i was didn't stephen casey just bought a kiln right and yep. so i keep thinking about that we don't really have a lot of room in the house i have some canvas well, i have uh i didn't bring one this trip because i just was overloaded because the holidays and everything but i usually bring like a sketchbook or something and draw and doodle and mm-hmm. um yeah it was funny in that same media guide Steve's thing said, like, I want to grow old and make pottery or something. Yeah. And that's what he's doing. And I heard, it's funny because I heard you, I listened to the Steve uh, podcast when you had, yeah. his, and he was talking about, uh, I think, didn't you touch on that with him? 
Maybe. I think so. I think I think you touched on it because I there's something it was fresh in my mind. So you must have. Yeah, make he wants to make pottery when I'm an old man. That's like verbatim what he said. <laughs> and so now that's what he's doing. That's so, so awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't consider him an old man at all. I mean, he's young and I guess he's true. Kids, yeah. <laughs> he's older than me, so I say he's an old man. But uh um other things that I found, you know, gosh, I love I love the internet, you know, you just kind of pull up stuff from that from you know, um Steve's nickname was Steve the Pirate. But I didn't see a nickname for you. Did you have a nickname? I I don't know. Like call sign. I thought his call sign was like Nips at one point. Maybe it may just like like I. So the fighter community they do like a naming thing. Uh, In the Mm -hmm. Air Force, I didn't fly fighter planes. I flew C-17s, which is big cargo aircraft. And then uh, when I got into AFSOC, I flew a bunch of small stuff, uh, uh, working with some partner nations and things, but. Um, I don't know, like in in the community outside of fighters, like call signs kind of they they show up, you know, like you do something dumb or crazy or, uh, you know, whatever it'll happen. Or if you have a name that rhymes or I don't know, sometimes they just show up mm-hmm. and I've never really had one that's like stuck. People will just call me like Sabo. It's shortening my last name, but I have one friend in Alaska who calls me Razor Cat and the story behind that's not even good it we were at a papa murphy's i think getting a pizza to like go home and drink and watch football i don't know what we were doing that night in alaska but and they we ordered it and we were the only people it was like they were about to close we were the only people in there and this person like wouldn't get off the fact that they needed a a name for the order i was kind of kind of staying in there and i, I was like well i'll be right here don't worry about it and they're like well we need to put a name like and I was like, well, just put whatever. She's like, well, what's your name? And I was just kind of like, all right, if you're gonna make me say, if you're gonna make me give you a name, I'm gonna make you say Razor Cat. And so I, so I gave him Razor Cat, and then that was kind of like, so him and like maybe five or six guys call me Razor Cat from my old unit in Alaska. But I don't, I wouldn't have an official one. I don't have a name tag with Razor Cat on it. Right? Like Steve probably has a name tag. Sorry, so you're going back and forth with this person at the counter because they need a name for this pizza. Yeah, and I wasn't trying to be rude, like, no, I'm not giving you a name. I was just kind of like, hey, we'll be right there. There's nobody else here. And that was like my initial. And they're like, well, I need a name. And I was like, well, put whatever. Like, you know, and and I was like, and they're like, well, it's got to be like, and I was just kind of like, Razor Cat, fine, do it. And and I wasn't trying to be, there was, you know, some person trying to do their job. It was probably the computer that made them do it. Right. But it's it's funny. Like, yeah, I, I can just picture this interaction going on. Like, I need a name for the order. And you look around and the, the restaurant's empty. And you're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, it was it was just a fun month. So that's why my buddy was like, dude, Razor Cat? And I was like, now they have to say it. I'm going to sit there until you say Razor Cat. Your piece is ready. And did they? They did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But yeah, short answer. I don't, I don't really have a, a call sign or anything associated with it. I've done enough dumb stuff in my life. I don't just nothing stuck. Or it's just been so normal for me that nobody thought it was special enough to Yeah. <laughs> um wow, good story. All right. Exactly. 
pretty sure that's better than Steve's story. I don't even know how he got nips. I think he was just wearing a shirt that showed, you know, that you could see his nipples and there, there you go. Yeah. Maybe he, uh, he ran a lot. Did he ever get like nipples from running or like the chafy nipples? Maybe it was that. Yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go with chafy nipples. <laughs> um, <laughs> that you flew cargo. So you didn't, you've, that was your main assignment or that's what you were piloting the C-17s, which were cargo. Yeah. They're, uh, they're the air force calls them a strategic airlifter so they can take big oversized cargo, um, do the, all the air refueling air drop. It's a fan. It's an amazing airplane. Uh, I haven't, I haven't flown a C-17 in like nine years or eight and a half years almost. And, uh, oh man, yeah, probably nine. And really, uh, but I've flown a bunch of the other planes and stuff like that. So, uh, but the C-17 is phenomenal. It's like super agile. Like the plane was designed really, really well. Uh, but now they're yeah. getting, they worked the, they got worked to the bone during the last 20 years of war. And so my mm -hmm. talking to my friends, they're like, oh, they're always like, we always have maintenance problems and stuff. I'm like, All right. uh, one other fun fact I have for you. Do you play Scrabble? Um, I do. I'm not like super often, often, but okay. I, I play. We played uh, play last in the summer when we were visiting my parents. Like when I played board games when I'm with a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, your last name would worth is worth 21 points in Scrabble. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> and that's yeah, more a proper noun though. You can't use it. it's a proper right. exactly, exactly. But I was like, you know, S Z A B O L C S. I was like, that's got to be worth some points, and it is twenty one. Yeah. Do you uh, do you do that for everybody? <laughs> no, because no one has you. You know, not I don't get unique names like this. So I'm sure there are. I bet there are some pretty you know ones that probably have high scoring ones. But yeah, Steve's might be C R O Z I E R. I think his was like seventeen or so, sixteen. Yeah. What's a Z? Z's ten points. He is 10, yeah. But he has like an an O, which I think might be worth one. I think a C, I think R, you know, those are yeah. B, um, which is worth some points, an A, I think. But anyway, useless knowledge there for you, but I'll anyone ever has, ever. 21 points. I know now. That's a good fact. <laughs> I'm gonna start I'm gonna start doing that with people, man. That's a good icebreaker. Yeah. To like to look up everybody's Scrabble name. Um. So one of the reasons we're here is I guess you wrestled a little bit. Yeah. The, and so uh, yeah. Where, where, sorry, where I don't know where you started. <laughs> I guess. Uh, no, you're good. I was just so so you wrestled and you have a brother Chris, or sorry, Chris, you're Chris. You have a brother Nick. Um. Did he set the tone? Did he start wrestling or where did, where did wrestling begin for you in your family? Um, so for both, it started, I don't, I don't know if that was the first year my grade school had wrestling, but my brother was in third grade and I was in the first grade. And that mm -hmm. was when we both started wrestling. It was like, he was two years older than me. He was like, I'm going to wrestle. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll wrestle too. Um, and my, I remember the first tournament, we both went to like, I don't think I want to, I made have won one match, but you know, you're a little kid, right? So you just go out there and hug each other and somebody falls over and then you get a takedown or a couple back points. You don't even really know what's going on. Um, and I think maybe my brother won the match and I didn't win any. And then my neighbor had a cousin 
who was a high school wrestler, just a local something. And he came over to my neighbor's house because we were all wrestling at the same time at the same place. Not his cousin, but he came over, you know, and we moved all the couches and everything in the living room. And he like taught us, it was like one-on-one essentially like basic moves, you know, in this dude's living room. And, uh, um, and that's how I remember like it, the, that, that was the first thing I remember sticking with me. Like he was like, Hey, here's the positions. Even though we were going to like practice and stuff with the coaches, there's like 30 kids running around like first and third graders or whatever, you know? And so you're not really like getting taught too much, but it was like this one-on-one, like, Hey, here's how it's going to happen. And here's what you want to do. And then the next tournament, my bro- I remember my brother and I both like took first place. You know, it's just a little kids tournament, but it was like just yeah. being told how to do it was like, oh yeah. Um, and then we both wrestled through um, high school. My brother um, wrestled through high school, and then when he went to college, he just played. He played rugby at Kent State, and then. Oh, wow. um, yeah, and, and it was it was it was actually the end of high school was kind of funny for him because he didn't even like we went to so we went to St. Ed's. It's like a big wrestling powerhouse in Cleveland, and they have a freshman team, a full freshman team that does a full schedule, a JV team that does a full schedule, and three varsity teams. But only one is like wow. is like the team, right? So so wow. the, all the all the varsity teams still go to a tournament every every week. And I remember my brother's senior year, he had like the best record on the team because he only wrestled four matches and he won all four matches because he would go to practices, but he didn't want to go to tournaments. He's like, I don't care. Like I'm doing this just to, at this point, just to stay in shape. He was like, I don't care about that. Really? Yeah. So he just was doing the worst part of wrestling. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Is that crazy? <laughs> There's a lot of other ways to stay in shape, but okay. No. <laughs> and uh i mean he's he's a maniac he's way tougher than me and that was i just remember that was his thing like i think everybody we had at least i mean even the the really good guys so my brother essentially just went to one tournament beat everybody and then was like i don't want to go anymore <laughs> always had a reason to tell coach he wasn't going or, or my parents and um and uh i just remember that and i was thinking like like well like if you look at the the program at the end of the year the pamphlet at the banquet you know it's like oh, oh that's they didn't really throw percentages in there, but you know, it was like four and or whatever my brother had. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking that, but um, so we wrestled there. I, uh, I wrestled, I, n- I never broke our starting lineup, in high school, but it was always, um, there were guys there and you knew like, if you were still wrestling, you were good enough. Like I'd beat guys that went to States and placed at States, but you could only send one team. Like it's, I know there's, there's some state tournaments, in the country where you can send anybody that qualifies, you know, it's like everybody can start at the sectionals and, but uh, yeah, like I, you can only send one. And so since I never broke the lineup, I never really went to States or anything. And, and it had, that kind of had an impact on recruiting mm-hmm. uh, in a way. I, I mean, there was guys that knew about St. Ed's and were really good. And then, but I remember the army coach, um, his last name was Barbie. Um, he literally was like, of course. <laughs> yeah. When I went when I went to West Point, he was like, "Well, did you win states?" And I was like, "No, but I beat the guy who took third, you know." And and he was like, "But I, so you didn't even go to states?" And I was like, "Well, we I wasn't allowed to because the guy in front of me was a four time, you know, or something like it was like one of those like." And he, mm-hmm. it's like 
he like couldn't put his brain around it. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm not getting recruited to army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, Navy, like Navy recruited me and then Air Force, the assistant coach there, Matt Cigarello went to St. Ed's as well. Uh, and so nice. he, he knew what was up and he started recruiting guys heavy from the East. He was like their East coast recruiter. Um, and he actually flew with Steve probably. Um, really? Cause he went to the Air Force Academy, graduated and he, and the planes that Steve was flying, the U-28s. Um, out of Hurlburt, coach was like they call him a plank holder, but it's like he was a guy who stood up that aircraft's program in the Air Force. He was like one of the original cadre. Um, so he he may have flown with Steve, um, but if not, they definitely flew the same plane, same missions, did some cool stuff. But and so the Didn't coach was there and he coached. What's that? I thought you won over a hundred matches in high in school. High, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still, I still, I mean, every year I had over twenty-five wins, um, but that's just, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because it's not like you were JV, really. I, that's yeah. I don't know how to pinpoint what what you were, you know? Because it's yes. yeah, you weren't technically varsity, but you were. You know, I don't know. It's that's just tough. That's got to be tough. Yeah, it is, as an I athlete. Did. It's it's fine though. Like I mean, overall, like I would have, I would have been good enough to be like in a Big Ten wrestling room, but not yeah. good enough to like start Big Ten. You know what I mean? Like it was something like that. So what it did allow me is to get recruited by the schools where I'd be competitive at, um, which coincidentally were kind of the service academies and stuff, and I was interested in those. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of D, there were some D two and D three schools that were really interested, like and New York University. They can't, I don't I've never really understood how the D3 stuff works. Like they can't recruit, but their coaches, he's like, we well, can give academic scholarships and things like that, but they're not recruited. They can't give athletic scholarships. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of those schools um, and then the Ohio schools like Kent State, Ohio University, um, they all they all were recruited. So it, yeah. it it just is it was what it was, you know, Um mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. That's something I'll say. Coaches, they can look at St. Ed's program still killer, and there's guys there that are probably just sitting behind a three timer. Yeah, they, they can't crack that lineup, and they can't. They're not. It w- they wouldn't be healthy losing too much weight to go down and going up. Maybe they got somebody else there. So it's, it's it was just such an interesting dynamic at that point. Yeah, I was gonna ask you what it was like wrestling there. I mean, the tradition is so strong. I mean, there's like. Uh just a certain expectation, you know, when you're probably in that room, is that the case? You know, when you step into that room, you're, this is St. Ed's, this is the top of the, you know, the cream of the crop. There's an expectation of excellence here or what, what is that like? Uh, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say when I was there, I wouldn't say you weren't expected to be awesome, but you were expected to try. Like if you came into that room and just wanted St. Ed's shirts, St. Ed's wrestling shirts and shorts or whatever, like it would be apparent. Um, but if you came into that room and, you know, worked your tail off every day, that's all the coaches would want. And and you could see that in everybody that was there. Like nobody, um, nobody really came and just kind of coasted through because the practice, you know, wrestling practices, nobody coached through this. It's not, yeah. um, it's not like that. And, and excellence was, 
it was present in in the coaching staff. It was present in the rest, all the way down to the wrestlers. Like everybody was great, like to some degree, if you want to say it that way. And then it also attracted the previous generations of excellence excellence to come back. Like um like Christmas break, you know, guys were coming back to high school to get in their room and wrestle. Like, hey, I'm home for two or three days before we go to Midlands or whatever. You know, so you come home, you still got to work out. Um, hey, I remember Thanksgiving, Christmas time, there'd be like 15 college wrestlers back. You know, like our, our room was like a college room, like, and they were putting them all against the gold team guys. And then after the high school practice, some of the college dudes all knew each other. They were all wrestlers at Ed's. So then they would do a practice, like, so they were weren't just beating up high schoolers. They actually, you know, were doing some live drills. <laughs> yeah. So why did you stick out wrestling? You know, it seems like your brother, uh, towards the end there was, you know, looking other directions. What did you do? Any other sports too, or what? What what made wrestling stick for you? Uh, I played soccer. I, I was, I don't know, maybe good enough to be on the lineup with soccer, but I never really concentrated on it. I wouldn't have started and uh, I was good at wrestling and I had a really good group of friends. Like my, my year, I remember even from like grade school, like when we finished grade school to finishing high school to even graduating from the academy, we always had like a strong year of people for whatever reason. Um, and so I had about 10 really good friends that were on the team, whether they were on the first string varsity or third string or second string. So it was a, a lot of really good friends that I got to, be with a lot um and that was the same way at the air force academy too like the senior classes were you know maybe five or six guys graduating or, and then i think our year we, we had eight you know which doesn't sound like a lot but it's almost double you know mm -hmm. the number of seniors and and they're just that kind of helps to bring it all through and and i enjoyed it it helps when you win yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i thought steve I feel like Steve had like five, four, four or five in his senior, in his senior class at the Air Force Academy. And yeah, you, you had eight. Um, but um, um, with your, at St. Ed's, what were the practices like? Did you have to break them up into sections or, you know, with how many people you had and how many groups or how did those practices work? Um, not really. My, my senior year, they did something like that, but uh it was almost like if you so imagine if you walked into a room, it was just, it was a pretty collegiate looking wrestling room. Uh, you walked in the door and we had a track above the room. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, but it, the room was about the size of a basketball, and the uh, so you could fit. Maybe it wasn't. It, I don't know. There was a basketball court in there with things hanging from the ceiling because that's just how they made gyms, but. Um, you could fit three mats in there, but not three full circles. I think it was like two two full circles, then essentially the rest on the sides. You know what I mean? Like the total yeah. footage was equal to three mats. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the practice kind of went like closest to the door were like the youngest, worst, I guess, you know? And then yeah. as you progress farther into the room, that's where like it went that way. You know, so, okay. um, and then the coaches were just always doing circles, helping everybody um, uh, around the room. And that, that's kind of how it went, but it was a pretty incredible room, man. Like I, I, there was this huge heating unit. I remember, man, this room, my high school was built in like the fifties. Um, 
early 50s. And so I remember that this heating unit, I don't know how old it actually was, but if it got too cold in there, the coach would be like, hey, like, go turn the heat on. And somebody would monkey up to the second floor and there was this big lever uh, and you had to like push it up and it was like flat against the wall, if that makes sense. And somebody would just push this lever and they, they, you'd hear a big like chunk and then yeah. as this heater like spun <laughs> up and it would just start bellowing air into the room. Um, but they had all the individual state champs. They had their brackets around the room and then they had to go to the second floor eventually after my time. But, uh, so that's what I mean. Like it looked like a college room. Uh, they just dedicated it um, two Fridays, two weeks ago to the head coach. He's the head coach for 29 year coach. Urbis. I mentioned to you when we were talking the other day, uh, Greg Urbis. he's still alive, but it's the Greg Urbis wrestling. Really? Is he, is he still coaching or did he pass the torch? He he's not the head coach anymore. He's still a teacher at school and he still coaches. But I think just um, everything in terms of like the coaching, the paperwork, I, he's very much a presence. But I yeah. think he just has passed on a lot of the administrative stuff. Yeah. So where were you at in terms of so you obviously weren't closest to the door in the room. Um, so where were you at? How how far down the other end were you? Did you so I, obviously I would, if you were second string? You probably were at the far end i would put yeah i would put there's like yeah i mean not all the way at the end but like i don't know the first row back where it would be like i'm constantly getting pulled both ways you know they're like yeah. hey we need you to wrestle this dude uh because you're not a scrub and then it's like all right well this kid we want to make sure he gets better too so we'd wrestle him you know and it was kind of like this getting pulled both ways with who you're drilling with and wrestling with so i was like i would say right there mm-hmm. uh, so <laughs> that, you know, that's yeah, that guy, I hung out in that first row. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, you know, I'm just thinking that's uh that's sort of an interesting tactic there because in order to challenge you a hundred percent the whole time, you probably needed to be with that first group. But sometimes it sounded like you were kind of being pulled back a little bit. Not yeah, necessarily not challenging yourself. Because, you know, that's sort of an in, up to the individual to push themselves. But working with someone who might be, um, you know, maybe not quite the caliber you are at at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess it, it kind of, I don't I don't know. I'd be wrong to say it didn't happen. You know what I mean? But it, it's, it's how you develop people, right? You know what I mean? Right. Like the strength of schedule makes you stronger. Like you're not going to get better just so they're but if only the good people wrestle the good people, then nobody's wrestling the the next level down. And yeah, and it's kind of that piece like there. And also there would just be a day where everybody got as his drill partner, you know, or whatever. Like, it's like, Hey, just the luck of the draw, however it worked out. Um, the, the, you just got to go with whoever you got. And then mm-hmm. it always changed, you know, for live, we would do however many live matches. And that, yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't like, it was like a full day and it all, there's no like walls, you know, it's not a, it's not a class society in the wrestling room where like, Hey, you're not allowed past this line, this tape here. <laughs> yeah. Like, you yeah. get over there with the scrubs. <laughs> so yeah. it, uh, I mean, it just, it just was what it was in, in the room there, you know, there's a few people who always had their partner or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I was always happy to mix it up. Yeah. Who did, um, when did you start thinking about wrestling at the next level? Um, because at, earlier you said you were looking at like, liberal arts schools um such as syracuse um you know new york 
University, which I mean, I don't think NYU has any wrestling. I know I, Syracuse used to, but not anymore. Um, so then you're saying the military academies where you wanted to wrestle. So like, did wrestling weigh a lot in that decision? It it did. Um, I mean, New York did have a wrestling team, you know, but they were like D three, okay. um, and it. I mean, I wanted to keep wrestling, but not at the uh, expenses. Like I would have found something else to keep me active uh, mm -hmm. and and working out and competing in some way. Like you said, Syracuse doesn't have a team. I, I think I don't even know if they would have a club team or something like that. But uh, I probably would have just found found something. I don't think I could have walked on to any other D1 program uh, at Syracuse. Like I'm definitely not built to be a basketball player or uh, a football player. Definitely not nowadays. So um, I probably would have just had to find something, whether it's, I don't know, some form, some other form of martial arts or something. That, uh, so I don't know. Yeah. But I, I mean, I wanted to wrestle like when I, during airline interviews, you tell, your little like story um and you know and that was a thing like i i did want to wrestle like leaving leaving everywhere at all the colleges too i was looking at their rotc programs too so i knew leaving i wanted to do two things i wanted to serve in the military at some point and continue wrestling if i could and that was that was just all i knew so that wasn't where i based my college applications off of but those were somewhere in the calculus mm -hmm. and what was the process of applying to and getting into like the air force academy um because I, if i remember right i thought steve had to get something signed from the governor he had to meet with the governor i think it was Vilsack at the time i think tom Vilsack. um but yeah it, it seemed like more of an extenuous process than just simply applying and paying your application fee yeah absolutely there i don't think there's a fee associated with it um the uh so the whole the basis is that the number of people at the military academies it's it's regulated and mandated by Congress, um, and so they can only have a certain number of people there at any one time. So next year's class is dependent on how many people are graduated um, or yeah. left for whatever reason, uh, and then but you need to be appointed by a senator or congressman. Um, and I, maybe the governors. I didn't think the governors had. Uh, maybe it was senator. Maybe I misspoke. And so you you essentially reach out to your senators and your congressional reps and they their offices have some process set up. When, so you'll essentially do an application or a letter or something to them and they'll do an interview. And then you also have the Air Force Academy application that you fill out. And it's it almost runs like both ways. Like you, mm -hmm. you you're filling them out. You're doing everything. It gets to a certain point, but you cannot get accepted to the any of the military academies if you do not have the appointment so you got to get this you know even if they're like hey you're number one student this is going to be great uh football captain or, or whatever if you don't have an appointment you can't they they can't take you but and there are it's not a black and white in the sense of like you you do have to have an appointment but it, there's places like i don't know i'll say like wyoming or maybe nebraska some senators in nebraska or congressmen in nebraska nebraska don't use theirs they get their appointment they only get a certain number you know and if they don't use them all then they could be like hey somebody from this the washington dc district or whatever uh or somewhere over there where it's military heavy like mm -hmm. somebody in this area who didn't get one 
may be able to just use that one. They're like, hey, we'll give you this spot. Um, gotcha. So uh, there's just all these workarounds because they're not going to leave a spot empty. Right. Is the basis of it. Gotcha. So what that had to be, was that intimidating to meet with your senator? Um, I met with the congressional. I, I actually only or, met my rep. The senators actually didn't even give me the time of day because um, the whole state's going for the senators. So the, yeah, you know, you only yeah. got two. And so your congressional rep is a better option. Uh, senators wouldn't respond to anything for me. I think it was Senator DeWine. Um, and, but uh, my rep, uh, Dennis Kucinich, was super cool. He's this squirrely. He was in the news. He ran for president um, maybe in 2008, I think. But he's like short. He's got a beautiful supermodel wife. And he's a short, squirrely looking dude. Um, and he was like a super far left, like Democrat. And I'm not trying to get political or anything, but it was just really funny because he was even out there, even like some of like the Democrats at the time were like, and eh, Kucinich is a little kooky. Um, but man, him and his office were so good in the process that like, I got nothing bad to say about him. Uh, I didn't really vote in Ohio after that. Cause I kept moving around, but, but if he was running, I would have given him his vote just based on like the caliber of person that he was and the, yeah. it rep like his office rep, if they were representing him, they were doing it right. Um, and so, I mean, that's not a reason to vote. Right. Especially if they're going to be real legislators. But anyways, like I just was like really. It was night and day from my senator to Congress. So, mm -hmm. But, but wow. short answer, I didn't think it was that intimidating. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe I was just naive. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, and maybe he made it, They seems like they made it a pretty pretty simple process or, or took that away from you a little bit where it wasn't as intimidating. But, man, that seems like uh, it caused a lot of stress. You know, you have to get this appointment. If you don't have this appointment, you don't get in, then you got to have an appointment with the academy. And there's just a lot going on, a lot more, like I said, but than just simply going to a university like the University of Nebraska where I just simply applied and yes or no. Yeah, I mean, it, there is, it, it is a little stressful, especially like if it's what you want to. And, and because like since I was recruited, Air Force – I don't want to speak to the process wrong. So I can really only speak to like what was going on when I was there, but like they, they had this process of like getting athletes, right? So like you, if you think about the, the whole person concept, you want everything to sort of be balanced, you know, and like above whatever, but you may have, have someone who's like, Hey, this guy's a phenomenal athlete, but his math scores are a little higher. This girl is, can do this, but her, her math, you know, maybe her science or she didn't do this or maybe for whatever reason, right? Like, the right. athletic department could, from my understanding, is they had a certain number. They called it blue chips at the time. And I don't know what it what it is now. It's been over 10 years. So, but they could be like, hey, if you want like that guy who, you know, is in not doing well math or something, it's going to cost you this many chips. And so each team had a certain number of these, like, they weren't actual chips, but they just called them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but each team had a certain number they could use. So if you wanted the number one recruit from whatever sport and say that person just like, they just wanted them strictly to be an athlete, they could be like, Dick, that's going to be everything because there is a low chance that this person is going to want to be an officer in the Air Force afterwards, you know, like, because that's what they're mm -hmm. supposed to be recruiting people for. Um, it's um, And so that was kind of how they did it. But being recruited... 
as an athlete kind of helped because I could reach out to the coach and see where my process, where everything was in the process or what he thought I needed to do more. And they have little feedback things the academy did, but the coaches would respond to you much faster. You're like, hey, yeah, let me go check on that, man. Get back to you today or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because the coaches wanted you there. The other thing was just somebody doing their job, like, yeah, I'll put you in the pile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, the Air Force, actually, real quick on their athletic programs, um, the football team had a really good year, and uh, the one of their players won the Jim Thorpe Award, which is the award given to the best defensive back in the country. Yeah, they they did. Uh, they opened really. They were eight and zero, man, and then yeah, we were top. I think we were ranked nineteen at one point, and then twenty three, um, and then we so they had a great year. We beat Navy. Um, and then we were going, we played army in Denver and everybody mm-hmm. went, man, it was awesome. Like, I mean, my wife and I went with our daughter and we just met oh, really? tons of friends there, yeah. all sorts of people. Like there was wrestlers, uh, football players. They did this humongous tailgate. Uh, and we just got smoked by army and it put the football <laughs> team on a four game, five game losing streak. I can't remember, but they lost out until the bowl mm-hmm. game. Then they won the bowl game. Yeah which was nice to see because they man, it was like, but yeah, I mean, they opened really, really strong and it was sweet because you beat, you beat Navy and army, then they get the commander in chief's trophy, which Mm -hmm. is um, just between army, Navy, air force. It's whoever wins. You get to go meet the president. Not, I mean, I didn't play football, but they wouldn't take the wrestlers. Oh, what? But it's still cool. It's like bragging rights because you got, you know, Navy friends, army friends, you just make fun of them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. My dad was in the Navy, so every time the Air Force plays the Navy, I don't think Steve, I don't think Steve really cares. I don't think my dad really cares, but I care. <laughs> so I'll text them both or something, or I'll, I'll you know, the gay men's or whatever. You know, Brandon yeah. writes to my dad, Brandon writes to Steve, but like I said, I don't think they really care. But did you yeah, guys have that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're not going to throw down over it, but it's just fun to be like, hey, did you check? and then you'll check on your phone, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Did you guys have anything like that for wrestling? You know, did you wrestle army? Did you wrestle Navy and have, that'd be kind of cool to have something like that. Yeah. You know? They did. They did an all Academy tournament. Um, that was really cool. It was, it was army air force, Navy coast guard, um, Citadel VMI, which is Virginia, uh, military Institute, um, merchant Marine Academy was there. I think new Mexico military, Institute, NIMI, um, another one, but they, so they're just all this sort of mill and they would do that. Um, they stopped it a few, a few years ago. I think it was just, uh, when really like the army air force Navy teams kind of wanted to start getting better and pushing, yeah. pushing themselves with a stronger schedule, you know, it kind of became, cause really the, like, in those situations, it would be Army, Navy, Air Force, top three at almost each weight class, you know, and it's like not not to belittle any of the other places. Like Citadel had some good wrestlers usually. There was some good, you know, and they would – but it was just like you're kind of just – those other ones are prep schools, you know, like they're for the most part. Was WCAP there? Um, No, like the world-class athlete program? Yeah. No, they uh, they weren't oh, there because it was, it, was it was still an NCAA yeah. thing. Yeah. But now the WCAP program is pretty cool. I think I always thought Steve should have gone to that. Really? Well, I mean, like, cause he was good enough and smart enough. And like, 
after a little while in the Air Force, like he could have done it and they would have seen it as like career broadening and they would have been like, this is a good, good thing for you, Steve, because this, this and this. But the Air Force is so dumb. Pro somebody probably didn't know what it was if Steve applied. Mm -hmm. uh, but somebody I know because uh, our coach, Coach Sicarello, did it. And and he loved it. You know what I mean? He swears by everything. He's like, dude, it was great. He had a fantastic career following it. And everybody would say, you're going to ruin your career. You're going to ruin your career by doing this. And I don't know. It's something stupid. The Air Force, like, let me decide what ruins my career. Like, I don't want some yeah. dickhead above me telling me what's going to ruin my career. Like, yeah. Like, Did you I'm ever give it consideration? Uh, I thought about it, but then it became like, I, I essentially, when I went to C-17s, I thought about it because you can apply later, but I didn't, I was gone so much that I didn't really, I wasn't able to keep up with wrestling or anything. And then at that point I thought about it and I was like, well, I'm just getting good at this airplane and I don't want to take a year off to like go take a break and then come back and get, try to get good at it again. Um, and then, so, I mean, I gave it thought, but I don't think um, it would have really worked out just because they would have said like, Hey, you know, we're using you a whole bunch, like, because you got to get released. It's not like you just go, they have to be like, Hey, we can do without you for however long. Gotcha. Okay. But, well, how was wrestling in college then? So you got into the air force. Did, did you, did, I know you looked at the other academies, were they really a thought ever, or was it, did it become clear that the air force was where you wanted to be? Um, It did not, it was not clear. The, I applied to them all. They were, I considered, I would have considered all of them. And honestly, I wanted to go to army. Um, really? and, and I air force recruited me. I got into army very, very late. Like somebody probably chose not to go. It was like June and they were like, Hey, here's your appointment to army. And I was like, I'm not going to army now. Like, uh, and so they have this thing where you can, when you graduate, you can cross commission. And essentially, it's like a one-for-one -one swap. If you find someone in the Army who wants to go to the Air Force, then you can take their spot in the Army. And that was wow. my plan. I was going to go to the Army and and do whatever. And Coach Sicarello, when I told him, like, I remember it. I remember this because we're sitting in his desk. He's like a lieutenant colonel. Uh, and I'm just a stupid cadet. And I'm like, here's what I want to do, Coach. Because um, he was like, are you going to put in for being a pilot? Because he was a pilot. Like, no, actually, what I want to do is, and I told him I wanted to cross commission the army. He was like, he reached across his desk and he slapped me. And he was like, he was like, why would you want to do that, man? He, and then he talked me into trying the pilot thing. Um, and I did that. Um, and I don't regret it at all. It was the best choice I ever made. So he literally slapped some sense. <laughs> literally. So you, what did you go to the Air Force for then? If you didn't want to be a pilot, I know there's other things you can do in the Air Force, but I'm just saying, so you weren't planning on being a pilot at all i was planning on going to the army after i was planning on cross commission man because air force treated me best in the recruiting process and mm -hmm. i was like heck i'll go wrestle for them uh and then my plan will be this and i, I don't know if that was my 100 percent plan but i didn't really have a plan like if i was going to go in the air force i was going to try to fly but i wasn't sold on being pilot it mm -hmm. wasn't like my dream um it was always a cool option but uh now that I've been doing it for so long, it really, I mean, I owe it to wrestling. Who knows if I would have got in uh, without wrestling, but I mean, I don't want to say I'm stupid or anything. Yeah. You never know. Like, uh, but wrestling, I noticed you asked about wrestling and I went down a rabbit hole. 
Um, no, I think I kind of direct you down there, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I noticed that like you go to college and everybody is a uh, high caliber wrestler. Like there aren't, there are no scrubs, right? Like at, at the college level. And so your whole room is filled with state uh, champs or state placers or runner up or something. You know what I mean? Like these guys who did really well. And it was just, it, it was eye opening as a freshman just to get the shit beat out of me every day. Like, mm -hmm. wow. Like, all I do is just come here and get beat up. Uh, I guess I'll just keep doing it tomorrow. Um, and so, but that was, I mean, I will say to go back, one thing, when I got in the Air Force Academy, I called the coach and I told him, I was like, hey, like, I'm, I know I'm not your number one recruit, you know, uh, but I can promise you I'll wrestle for four years. Is that Sherrod? He, he took over when I was a, a junior. So when I, going into my junior so, year. When? Bauman? It was Bogman, yeah, yeah. Bogman, yeah, okay. Yeah, and he, uh, he, man, if he was still alive, he died uh, a couple of years ago. If he was still alive, he'd be an amazing guy to talk to. His, yeah. he, I think he technically might still hold the record for most national titles because he won, like, Sambo, like, he won all sorts of titles, man. The dude's, the dude was an animal, like, and also just, kooky in his own way i mean everybody's crazy i'm not trying to call him crazy. yeah especially in the wrestling community <laughs> but he i mean dude just without a doubt the toughest guy you what you should do is try to find some some wrestlers like stick around some of the old guys that wrestled under bogman at the air force mm -hmm. uh, and get some bogman stories yeah what's they, your what's your bogman story he wrestled for under him for a couple of years well man so like he the guy was like 74 years old and he would still <laughs> get on the mat and show us moves and he had all these wild stories and and i'll you know and, and this was a reoccurring one is that he would start talking to us and he would show us the move and then he would start talking and he'd be like standing there so talking and talking and talking and we're all sitting there we just were going live or doing whatever bogman was doing and uh and so we're sweaty and now and then we're sitting there and now we're getting a little cold you know, and guys are kind of like starting to like move, like I gotta, like I gotta stay warm, you know. And then we're just sitting there. Then the lights would just turn off. Like he would be talking for so long, and he'd be like, "Oh, I guess that's that means I've been talking too long. Get up and grab a partner. <laughs> Three minutes live, you know." And you're like, "Well, now I'm cold, coach." <laughs> and that happened multiple times. But there was a story, you know, and he told us when he he was going to get jumped by these people at however old he was. And, and he, it was a fight. He couldn't win. He was like, all right, I'm uh, I'll fight you guys. You're not getting my wallet. He's like, you're going to win this fight, you know, cause there's four of you. He's like, but I'm going to bite a hole in one of your cheeks <laughs> and every day. Somebody's going to have to wake up and be like, why did you jump that one guy? <laughs> He's like, He's dude, I'm telling you, and he ran. There's another crazy story about how like insanely tough this dude is. Was God rest his soul, like rest in peace. He uh, he was running the Leadville 100 and broke his foot on like mile like 60 something, and his wife met him at one of the markers, and he told her he was like, I'm gonna quit. Like I can't. I broke my foot on a rock or slipped or did something. He's like, I can't. I can't go on. And his wife ran the rest of the race chasing him and swearing at him 
because she didn't marry a fucking quitter and he finished <laughs> like the rest of the level 100 with a broken foot like the, i'm telling you you got to start talking to dudes like get are talk you kidding to me what's that are you kidding me no man. That's a true story yeah it's a wayne bogman true story wow i so i know the leadville 100 because i uh the assistant coach there now at the air force academy joe johnston did it mm-hmm. um and so you know i interviewed him and had to i looked that up and i was like what's this leadville 100 and that is one of the like you want to talk about one of the toughest things to do you oh, know yeah. So he 30 miles or whatever walk crawled finished it with 30 miles with a broken foot my god i think i think there's a picture of joe in the wrestling room or there was when i was there like he was coming over some peak on the leadville and it was like a like holding his hand up and like smiling yeah. uh i just remember that picture um it was in the room that i i uh i don't know what's in the new room mm-hmm. but yeah man you gotta I talked to Matt Sicarello. He knows Steve really well. And like our generation of wrestlers from the Academy, he recruited us all. And he'll, uh, he can at least, he'll tell you some Wayne Bogman stories, especially because he was an assistant coach with him and he'll, and he wrestled under him and like, dude, toughest man I ever met in my life without a doubt. You know, that's including like the, the hitters in the military and stuff like, Mm-hmm. And and he was he was in the military he was in the air force but he just did the wrestling stuff I don't know what his actual air force job thing was but he at one point was in the air force I think probably it was like draft era I would bet mm-hmm. do you would you consider yourself tough because there I got you know I heard that you were um you were a combat aviation officer or advisor sorry and. What I was told was that is like the Green Beret equivalent, but for aviation and not for ground combat. So um, essentially, like it is one tough dude to be that. Yes and no. I just short. I like I consider myself tough, you know, but like I don't like the toughest people don't say they're tough. You know what I mean? Like right, the toughest people they just kind of <laughs> know it, and that's not why I don't. Like there's tougher people than me out there, but um, I think I think toughness is based off what you can handle and kind of balance with what you can dish out, right? Like it's not one or the other. Like you're not tough because you can throw a good punch. You're tough because you can be tough and do tough things to get past tough times. But so the the combat aviation advisor community is it's it's a selective community in the Air Force that we we do. So I guess I'll describe it like this. To, to say that we're Green Berets is a gross injustice to the badass Green Beret community. Because those dudes, there's a lot of tough like mothers in that community. And like mm-hmm. and the there's these eleven functions of special operations, and the Green Berets do all of them. And the, and the functions are like I can't list them all off, but they're <clears throat> You know, it's like direct action, which is like the SEALs and Delta and the hitters, you know, like those guys kick in the doors and the Green Berets can do all these 11. You know, they can do direct action, um, anti um, proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. They there's like a um, sort of a civil affairs piece to it, like um, but. They, primarily, what if you think of Green Berets, what they do now is like foreign internal defense, security force assistance, um, and like so it's building the capacity of our partner nations. You know, they, we go and we, the United States Green Berets, they go and they train our partners to be a, a more effective fighting force. 
um, and they do it at a special operations level, but they're so valuable because they have all those other skills that they can be maybe in a country for the purpose of training on paper, but there's other stuff going on there. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I don't want to talk too much into it and make it sound super secret squirrel, but so the, the Green Berets can do all these functions. And what we did as combat aviation advisors was uh, the foreign internal defense, security force assistance, and um, unconventional warfare. But we, like, because you're not going to have an Air Force pilot kicking in a door for direct action. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, you're going to have an Air Force guy above, above them watching on the camera, doing whatever, helping them, uh, kind of like what Steve was flying. Um, and so there's those pieces that we do in, in every one of our deployments we are most effective when the Green Berets or the, the Navy teams are there, or the, the MARSOC or the NSW teams are there on the ground too. So we can then integrate the, the, the special operations air forces of the, of the partner nation military to the special operations ground forces and make mm -hmm. them overall more effective. And so um, there's that, that piece that's kind of like, you know, like to, if, if I walked in a bar and said I was the Air Force's Green Beret, and there was a bunch of green praise there. They'd laugh at me, <laughs> probably kick my ass. You know what I mean? Like, um, but like the process was, it used to work. So we're going away. Um, I have a lot of feelings on that, that I can't say in any official capacity. Uh, we can even have a beer, you and I, and yeah. talk about that. But the, the mission is going away on the Air Force side. Um, the leadership says that the capability of supplying those functions will remain. But the mission within our squadron and the term combat aviation advisor is going away. Um, but the, the unique thing that we did was that we could be, we could run missions. So there's all these different levels of advising in the military. And I like to think of it as one is like, hey, we're going to help you run your office, your staff functions, like the nerd stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is like, hey, we're going to help you. We're going to teach you within your borders how to operate. Um, like how to shoot a gun, how to take off, how to land, how to just do this stuff. We're going to train you. And then the, so there's these different levels of advising. And one of them is assist in a company. Well, those are two different ones, but like the highest levels are assist and a company. So we could accompany a partner nation on their missions. We're the only, by Air Force doctrine, we're the only unit that is allowed to do that. So we can get on, like in Afghanistan was a good example. Like we were getting on Afghan tailed airplanes flying with the Afghans, executing Afghanistan's missions, which were parallel with ours, I guess you could say. But um, we were sitting in the seat with them doing that. And, you know, and so we can do those things. Uh, in uh, There's just other countries, good examples that, you know, it's just imagine it just it just makes it a little more legal in terms of the, the world. Like, hey, they may not know how to operate all the systems or may not be as precise or maybe just need a little bit more instruction or something. So we can go up there to ensure the precision and the success, you know, or if there's green berets on the ground, assisting and accompanying the guys that are on the ground of the partner nation, then it, what it does is it helps to um, eliminate some of the risk by putting Americans above as well. You can say, Hey, mm -hmm. you know, like if there's a miscommunication or something wrong, um, we can help to clear the air and say here, you know, this or that, or, and, but ultimately it's their airplane, their mission, you know, it's, if that makes sense. So we can do, yeah. we're doctrinally the only air force entity that could do that. 
Gotcha. So yeah, so basically you would you would help and aid where where needed and to sort of bridge the gap at times, if you will, if if needed be, you know. Yeah. And like I mean, you weren't and, carrying and, out your own mission or you weren't carrying out their missions for them. You correct. were, you know, you were simply it's there to yeah, yep. accompanying them. Or like there there was an example of like a country where we we'd given them some precision munitions. This is before me, but we'd given them some precision munitions, but and they would be launched from their aircraft and with their pilots pushing the buttons and things like that. But like our pilots that flew with the guys held the codes because like it was like, okay, like once the target was verified and everything was good, we could confirm in the back seat or whatever, like, yep, like, hey, you can do that because we didn't want it being used against the wrong people or accidentally done something, you know, and then all of a sudden there's, you know, a bad look for the U.S. government or who knows what the media would yeah. say. Um, yeah. Things, things like that, you know, for right when I got to the unit, the world was big on helicopters rescue. Um, so I, we had a bunch of helicopter guys who were, that was what other countries wanted. They're like, if we, you know, cause pilots are an investment. So if our guy goes down, we want to be able to save him. If something else happens somewhere, we want to be able to save our people. And that was a huge push. And that squadron did an amazing job um, helping countries all across the world, like develop their helo capabilities, their rescue capabilities. Um, and then as I got to the unit, what people wanted were eyes in the sky. They wanted a plane with a camera um, so they could help their guys from the ground with eyes in the sky. Uh, and then it's evolved to more of a precision, an eyes in the sky with a precision strike capability. Uh, okay. So who knows what it's going to be? I, I think UAVs and UASs, like the unmanned stuff, the drones, really are the next logical step. I hate saying stuff like that as a pilot because it's not cool or sexy, but yeah it it buys down the risk and they're just getting much cheaper like drones and stuff yeah you know i'm listening to all this and i'm like i just i can't stop i can't help but wonder you know you were a biology major in college and i don't know where biology fits into any of this so well, i can give you a little corner that it fits into really okay <laughs> well uh you're, you're, it's a good question, man. You're good at this, by the way. Like, <laughs> do your homework. I, I appreciate your professionalism and all of it. Either, I'd have fun talking with you regardless. But, uh, um, but so same thing. Like the, I think coming from the Air Force Academy is the only commissioning source where you don't need a tech degree to become a pilot. Like in everything else, you need like an engineering, math, science, some science degree. So there's probably people. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably people flying planes with like uh, humanities or like a social sciences degree or something, right? Like, uh, but the or in your case, a biology degree. Yeah, exactly. And in pilot training, they uh, do you do an aerospace physiology segment. And you learn about all like the the uh, just the aviation sort of air sicknesses, like hypoxias, things like that. Like the pressurization and all, all those things and how it affects the body. And I took a, I took a class on that and it really helped me because for some people, they were just hearing about that stuff for the first time. And from a biology perspective, I was like, Oh, this is all really familiar to me. Like I can now understand a little more of what's going on with, uh, with, um, 
the partial pressure of oxygen and how it's getting into your blood and when you get higher in altitude and all these differences and like what's physically happening to the body. Like, so it helped me there. I'll, I'll say that. All right. All right. Where did biology, where did that major even come from? Um, I throw something I just was interested in it, man. It's, it's interesting. The, I thought it would be a way to not close the door in case I ever want to go into the medical field. It's not a dream of mine, but it's interesting to me as well. Um, and ultimately it's the, it's the first step in understanding yourself or me. Like biology is like, mm -hmm. Hey, your, your liver does this, your, you know, this does this, you know, this is how getting high in altitude affects your body, you know, like, but then you go, you take that to the next step, right. And chemistry is, is the next step of like, here's what your liver's doing. And when it releases, you know, when it's dissolving the toxins or uh, metabolizing them and doing these, all these things, like here's how it's happening with molecule transfer and this and this. And so then you take it to the next step and you go into like physics. And so to me, it was just the first step in understanding me. Um, and that's, gotcha. that's kind of like, if, you, if I didn't, I didn't really know, uh, it did help that I did really bad in my Calc 3 course. So I wasn't allowed to be an engineer. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just go to biology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah biology the extent is uh for me um well, not the extent but you know i know that the big thing is the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell i just saw something of a funny like uh <laughs> real or something about the mitochondria <laughs> you were a man of many many interests you know um you want to direct a movie uh you fly for ups um, you, um, were really art, you know, you like the arts, um, you studied biology, which has nothing to do with any of these, but you wanted to open that door. Um, when I was looking at that media guide, like I said, you know how many hobbies you had listed running, lifting, sculpting, drawing, painting, hiking, and reading seven hobbies. I don't run too much anymore, but. But I'm just like, man, if you asked me what my hobbies are, I'd be like, gosh, I don't know. Watching TV, watching sports. Like you I watch plenty of, I watch plenty of TV too. <laughs> like, no, man. I I mean just everyone's got all different interests, you know, like and at that point it's also too, I was probably tooting my own horn. Like nobody'd ever asked me to like <laughs> write my own little media blip for you know what i mean i was like oh cool like oh, yeah let's put it all on there look how cool the you know the one thing a pilot wants to talk about most man it's himself <laughs> like that's <laughs> maybe i was born to be a pilot just throwing all that stuff in there one of the big questions i have you know is um you know it's kind of more of a i uh, can't think of the word i want to use but maybe ingest um uh top gun man like it's just that like every pilot's favorite movie or is that just sort of a fun running joke within the pilot community that like I everyone will... thinks we love Top Gun. Everyone thinks we want to be Tom freaking Cruise and Iceman. But I, uh, it's, it's a funny question. And I, I, the best part is like, I, I did not see Top Gun until I was 20, like four years old or 25 years old. Like Really? So you were done with school? Yeah. At that point. I was a pilot already. Yeah. <laughs> my friends in alaska found out i didn't see it my one one of my best friends and he was like what like we, he essentially look, took me home from work early he was like we're leaving it was like a friday <laughs> he's like he's like we're going to my house and we're watching top Gun, dude. We're gonna 
drink and we're gonna watch something else. Like, all right, and like, uh, and but I don't know, man. I will say like something about those fighter planes, dude. It, every time you hear something like that, I don't care who you are or where you are in this country or the world, you're gonna look up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're gonna look up there and go, oh, cool. Like, even if they just go right by, like yeah. it's they put that rumble in your chest and. And those dudes, those dudes train for a fist fight in the sky. You know, lately they haven't been doing stuff like that, uh, but that's what it is. And so, like, I, it's kind of like the Navy SEALs, you know, like and the fighter pilots. Like, I want those fuckers. Sorry, uh, I want those guys to go into a fight, think or knowing they're gonna win. You know what I mean? Like the you know fighter pilots, like like they're they're cocky, and as long as they're actually as good as they say they are, I don't care you know mm-hmm. or like navy seals who knows you know what i mean like somebody's like i just read a news article about special operations and steroids and stuff like that and that was in human performance enhancing and i was like they're good i hope <laughs> every one of those dudes should be taking steroids under the supervision of a doctor like make every one of them as unstoppable as possible because we use them in situations where they have to win you know what i mean mm-hmm. like imagine if you just sent a bunch of like like total goobers to go get Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. We essentially <laughs> invaded Pakistan when we got Osama bin Laden, right? Like you can't go in there and be like, well, hopefully we win. Like you have to go in knowing you're going to win like, uh, for stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, but um, Top Gun, yeah. And like, it's a great recruiting tool for <laughs> Navy and the Air Force uh, because it, it, I don't think it's made as a recruiting tool. It's definitely made as a, for its entertainment value, but it doubles because, because of stuff like that, you know, and I, I support cocky fighter pilots. <laughs> Most of them, some of them are my friends. A lot of them are my friends. <laughs> Did, do you get that feeling? You know, um, I used to, for about a year and a half, two years, almost, I climbed cell phone towers. Okay. <laughs> so like I was, I was climbing anywhere from 300 to, I climbed a thousand or 1200 foot cell phone tower. So I was, I was way up there, you know? Um, and the first couple times, yeah, I got those butterflies. I'm like, this is, this is cool. This is yeah. cool. Okay. You know, was that, did you have that feeling, you know, when you were starting to fly the, for the first time, then butterflies, I'm like, this is pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like it, the, the first time they take you up and like the trainer, it's this awesome T6. It's like super maneuverable. And essentially they're, they're trying to get you to do that. Like in the first, the first flight of the silver, they show you all the stuff because they know you're new, you're dumb, you know, like I've done zero of this and most everybody at that point has done zero. And so they take you up there and they want that. Like, the, like I remember I went with this, um, his name was Dave Hedger and he was a colonel at the time, Lieutenant Colonel, a really cool guy. And, uh, you know, we went up, we did all these loops and all this stuff and, you know, and you just come back with a freaking smile on your face and you're like, that was awesome. My guy's like, yeah. And he showed you the actual procedures and steps for the maneuvers, you know, and it's supposed to inspire you, you know, like every now and then somebody comes back and they're like, I got sick and I don't want to do this anymore. Like, uh, you know, but you, then you land and you're like, all right, now you got to study because we're going to ask you all those questions tomorrow and you're gonna have to start doing those things to, you know, the next day. And you're like, oh crap. Like I can't just go up there and have a circus ride every day. Um, but yeah, dude, for sure. And and there's still times, I think, flying. I was just telling somebody, one of the one of the coolest approaches I've ever done was 
in Alaska in the C-17. I was flying with this really experienced instructor and we were coming over the mountains and in Anchorage, my, my base was in Anchorage and we were coming over the mountains heading west and there's a runway just below the mountains that goes east-west. But so you, there's only a instrument approach, which is like a procedure for if it's bad weather, so you can't see. Uh, there's only an instrument approach landing east. But if it's nice weather, you can land west. And we came over the mountains and air traffic control was like, hey, if you got, you know, winds are supporting landing on 2-6. If you guys, if you guys can make it, you can land 2-6 if you want. I'll talk to Tower. And she was like, you want to do that? And I, I said, yeah, hell yeah, I'll do that. And I was the lieutenant. And she was like, okay, I'll tell him. And he, she tells him he, we get approval. And she just looks at me and she goes, make it happen. And it was like so cool because it, uh, and this was like years ago, but I just remember it was like Max performing the C-17. We just dropped out of the sky. I did everything perfectly. Like all the stuff that they'd been training me to do, like it made sense and it worked out that day. And I was like, and I landed and, I, and it was just, I remember like just smiling. I was like, man, it was really cool to do what this airplane was designed to do and to do it right with no instruction. It was right around that time. I was like, Hey, I'm trying to learn this airplane being good mm -hmm. at, it, you know? And so, but you, I still get those times where like, this is awesome. You know, it's like seeing, seeing dudes win at wrestling. Like I'm sure there's, you know, I'm watching all the stuff, like the flow stuff that they put up on Twitter and things like that. Cause I can't watch everything live, but you, you know, it's like, I'm sure those dudes go through, I mean, we know, I know those guys suffer and suffer and, you know, like, and then they get that win and it's addicting. They're like, all right, when am I going to get this again? You know, I got to make sure I get it again. Yeah. And good point. I was going to bring it back to wrestling because, you know, um, did you feel that? Was that something that, you know, that kept you coming back was getting that big win and being like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this thing, you know, just like you're okay. I'm, I'm figuring out this pilot thing. Yeah. I'm figuring out this wrestling thing. I'm beating good kids yeah. that I it's, probably it's, on paper shouldn't be beating. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in college, it was like, it was really fun to, to win and contribute. We, we had a tough time uh, at the Air Force Academy. There was a lot going on. Coach Bogman was, I think at the time getting kind of a little too old to maybe be coaching. And then coach Sherritt, hadn't had a chance to really build the team up and get us to where he wanted us, you know? So we were in this like nebulous middle ground yeah. um, and we won, you know, like, so just winning anything at all was really, I shouldn't say it like that. It makes it sound like we lost everything, but like winning <laughs> was like, really exciting. And, and our, my senior year was like a dark horse year for us. Like we, nobody expected anything from us and we sent five guys to nationals and until recently that was the last time we sent five guys nationals was like 2008, you know? And so it was like, Steve went, we had a sophomore at the time, Tyler French. He'd be actually another good guy to talk to. He's cool. He's, I think he was in Steve's wedding. I think. I think it might've been an usher. Uh, and then um, a couple of Jake Devlin, Tony Dorward and uh, Jay Kriegbaum. These guys all went to nationals, you know? And it was like, nobody was expecting that. Like we were maybe going to get one is what we were hoping for. And all of a sudden we're sending five, yeah. um, you know, and that was like, it was just so cool. Like the feeling of like that. And I didn't even go, you know what I mean? But that was like that win. Luckily it was kind of towards the end for me. So I got to go out on that, but even though I wasn't going to nationals. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I think you kind of chase it like in everything. 
Mm-hmm. How many how many cell phone how many cell phone towers did you climb? A lot, you know, <laughs> a lot. You know, like I said, I did for like a year and a half or two years. So I I went at all. I was in Missouri, Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois. Did you keep getting, was there some of them where you got to the top and it was like, I know you said the initial ones, but afterwards, were there some that were like so difficult or whatever that you were like, like, whoa. Just so some of them, like we, you know, like the radio towers, those were the really tall ones, you know, um, for radio stations and whatnot. That'd be pretty cool. But yeah, eventually get, did get a little stagnant where you're like, can I just get to the top and just do my job? And, you know, eventually, yeah, you look out and I don't want to say it all looks the same because it doesn't, but you're not blown away with what the view is. You're like, ah, okay. Yeah. This looks, looks nice, but whatever, you know? So yeah. Were you, um, were you on the same team as like Bridger Lord and I think and, Zach. and Zach? Yeah. They Zach were, a year, they were a year ahead of me. So two years. Ahead okay. Of Steve when you... okay. That was like those two kids being tough. Dude, they were really tough, and, like, I – so it's funny. I, I didn't start a match for the first team until my senior year of the Air Force Academy, and that's including high school. You know how I said, like, I never started in high school. Like, so yeah. I just kind of was, like, just getting beat up. And Bridger and Zach, um, they were – those two – talk about tough people, man. Like, they would just keep working and working and working until they died. Um, grand scheme, I mean, they were better wrestlers than me. They lined up really well against my style because they were these short stocky dudes who had the endurance to keep going and i was like kind of lankier um and so i had a tough time wrestling them they beat me a lot um and uh but yeah they those two dudes another cool group of dudes to talk to man not that i'm just trying to sell you on talking to a bunch of air force people Uh, no to be honest sam barber kind of did that when i talked to him coach barber geez um i don't know was he was he there when you were there, Coach Coach Barber? I I met Coach. I met him on my way out. So he was just getting hired, and I think I was talking to Coach Sherritt in his office. And either Sam walked in, or he was going to meet him at the gate or something. And I went with him, uh, and so like I met him there. I met him a couple times when I go watch Air Force. Um, where I went to, were they at Hofstra? They were somewhere, and I think they were in Hofstra. Yeah. Uh, and I went to see him a couple of years ago. Um, so I I didn't wrestle for Coach Barber, but I've met him. You just said, you know, wrap up here. But um, I want to end on a really good, awesome high note. You said you made the team. You know, you finally cracked the varsity lineup as a senior in college. I mean, that had to be just a an awesome experience and a great way to end your career. Is you know, you didn't like you said you didn't in high school. You know, you didn't at all in college, and then here comes your last year. And now, after all this years of being beat up, putting in the work, here you are, the starting 149-pounder. Yeah. that I mean, it was cool. It, it kind of made it all, like, a little bit worth it. Like I said, when I talked to the coach at that one point, I was like, when I got in, I was like, I'll give you four years. Mm-hmm. Like, I can promise you that I'll show up every day, and I'll work my hardest. Um, and and it made it, it made it extra cool cause all my peers were there like that. That was the team of primarily guys that I had just spent the last four years with, you know, like just, and, and Steve too, um, you know, so it, it made it extra cool to be hanging out with my best friends while I did all this stuff. Um, 
and and to finally see it. So, I mean, we got as a wrestling team, we got treated like the bastard children of just the Air Force Academy. We don't bring in any money. It's, but it is what it is. That's what a wrestler is, right? Like you're not doing it to make the front page of Sports Illustrated or whatever. You're not going to be in a bowl game on whatever day, you know, getting a giant bag of goodies from whoever sponsored you, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so it was just cool to to be there and to compete and uh, and be with everybody on all that stuff. Win or lose, you know, like you're doing it as a team with your buddies. So Yeah. And yeah. everything it all paid off. I mean, you know, your your time came, you know, that that's sort of kind of the model of the of wrestling in a way is that you you get what you you know, sometimes not always do you get what you earn because sometimes you're putting in a lot of effort and, and hard work and and you may not reach your goal. But what I'm saying is you kept showing up every day for since you were what in first grade? Yeah. And it all culminated with a varsity spot at a D1 program, you know, so that's something to be proud of. There were probably numerous times where you could have thrown in the towel, you could have quit, you could have whatever, but you didn't. Yeah. It, I mean, it made it kind of, it made it kind of cool too, because like the guy, like I was not like the strong wrestler on the team, you know, like I had a wicked half analysis and I could pin dudes with it. Um, but I was still a toss up on if I, I was winning or not. Like, but it was cool. I, I ended up senior year being team cap and it was kind of cool. Cause like, you know, usually you think of like the best dude on the team doing that or something. And it was a different, it was a different feeling to be that guy who's going out there and saying, you know, picking representing the team in, in so many ways. Um, and that the guys picked me for that. It wasn't like a coach's It was like the, the team was like, Hey, we don't care if you're the best or whatever, dude. Like, and it, and it was a really cool, like you said, a way to go out of like respect from my peers. And and I know that they knew I respected them too for everything mm -hmm. that they were doing. So team captain, did you have any idea that that was a possibility where you, I mean, like you said, you, you weren't necessarily the, the top guy on the team, but obviously they saw something, a lot of things in you qualities that relate to being a, a team captain yeah um no i mean i don't know that it'd be it was always like oh it'd be kind of cool but all the guys were my friends i it could have gone i mean there's other dudes i would have voted for uh just because i don't think about putting myself in leadership positions it's like weird but um like i didn't i didn't get to vote but i for sure would have voted for steve that next year you know what i mean like when he was a captain yeah. you know so uh i don't yeah I, don't, I mean it was it was surprising but there's eight guys there's there's a couple people and you can kind of tell like i don't know i know there's a couple dudes that not that i didn't like them or anything it wasn't but it was like i don't think he'd be a good team captain for whatever I know what you mean yeah just for sure just like everything else putting yeah. putting people in places <laughs> but dang but gosh yeah what a what a story you know um tough tough dude yeah, green gray of the Air Force, right? <laughs> Don't say that. It's, it's a gross. Like I say it. I say this. It's a gross injustice to real green berets because we, my my squadron had, had like an assessment. We were selective, and then it went away, and then we were selective, and then it went away because the money and stuff. So we we're there's like there were some scrubs, man. Like that, and and it's a it's a it's a mental piece that stuff because you have to be able to work with a partner nation who 
as very different cultural, like we live with them, we work with them every day and stuff like that. It's not like I just get in the airplane and go. I mean, and some of these guys I still talk to in all the countries I've, I mean, most of them I still talk to. And so like, you have to be there mentally. We, they, the guys will get psych evals and stuff. But anyways, like I'm saying, like not a green beret, far from a green beret. Okay. I don't. I just don't. I just don't want anything going on, on the internet. And all of a sudden, there's this Air Force dude saying that he's a Green Beret. Uh, so we just we overlapped a lot of mission sets with them uh, in terms of the uh, building partner capacity and foreign internal defense stuff like that. So, and it was actually Got good because they a lot of times they didn't know we existed, and so it was all of a sudden yeah. they find out and they were like, "This is actually great because we've been trying to get these guys to figure out the airplane thing for," and we're like. They're like, are you guys new? Like, I've been doing this for about 35 years. <laughs> They're like, oh. <laughs> uh, um, last thing, I guess, is uh, if if my package doesn't arrive from UPS on time, who do I who do I contact? Do I call? Do I get a hold of you? The, hey, I, man, I can look for it. It's my, in the bag. Where's my package? <laughs> You have to wear the brown uniform too while you're flying, just like the guys who are driving around the UPS here. You have we, to wear the brown have, suits. We, we have like a, the nerdy pilot outfit. I call him a pilot. My my wife and I joke around. I'm gonna put on my pilot costume because I go and pretend to be a pilot for a few days. Um, but the pants are brown and the coat is brown. But okay, but it's like a dark. It's like a dark dark. It's not. It's not quite as brown as like the drivers. It's a little darker to to just look more piloty. <laughs> okay so not not like you know some of them shorts are a little bit short you know you don't wear yeah. that i would I, if we had shorts i would rock them it'd be hilarious but really yeah just because i think it'd be it'd be funny man <laughs> one thing i want i wanted to say i listened to steve's podcast you know i don't know if you want to find a, a closing spot on this or whatever um when i listened to steve's he was joking around he's like mine was just a big advertisement for usafa right like that's what steve said and and, uh, and i think it's really funny because when steve came for his official visit mm-hmm. he did you guys all went to the same uh did steve knew casey you guys in high school you all went to the same high school right yeah yeah so like steve had that steve. long curly red hair right like the and, fro yeah yeah and he shows up and we had just gotten our like our freshman privileges so he's shadowing me or whatever you want to call it and we just gotten our freshman privileges so we're getting beat up in the wrestling room we're getting beat up in the rest of the nonsense air force bs Mm -hmm. and then we get all our privileges and steve comes for this like official visit and i'm on cloud nine like just like oh it's so great here like oh we could do this we could do that like now i can go out and i can I don't have to wear these uniforms. Oh yeah. And so Steve's just like, Oh man, this place is cool. And uh, he ended up obviously going to the air force Academy. And like, it was like two years later one day we were hanging out and something Steve, somebody like we talked about like getting recruited or whatever. And Steve's like, yeah, I came for a recruiting trip. And Chris just lied to me for two days. <laughs> I was like, I didn't lie to you, man. Like everything I told you was true. It was just like in, you know, May or late April, whenever you came, I don't know. Like, we had all our full privileges and so he came with just like i just not, and after that point i imagine for all freshman years steve was like, Chris. <laughs> like but he was I, mad I, the entire freshman year at you i will i he might have been i don't know but he the way he said that that one time i remember him it's like and chris just lied to me for two days <laughs> 
Stone, you, didn't, you didn't lie to him for the record. <laughs> yeah, for the record, I wasn't lying. I was just talking about like my experiences at the moment. Uh, <laughs> we need, we need him. Steve was a good wrestler. I was recruiting him. You weren't so they 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 let you recruit him. No, no. I mean the coaches they do their yeah. whole thing. It's like, but they follow you for like Steve followed me for a day. We went to classes and did everything. Um and it's like a real recruiting trip, but we can't they can't take guys out and like party with them and stuff like that. Like right. at other colleges where you know they may look the other way. It's like extremely frowned upon when government funding is doing it at a military yeah. academy. Yeah. So, so they don't, I mean, so they don't, just in case that's not clear on the screen. Yeah, right. no. It does not happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, whether or not you lied to him or not, he, he got him to the Air Force, and I'm, I'm sure he's he's probably happy right now doing his pottery at home. He's, he seems, yeah, in Spanish. Muy bueno. <laughs> Muy bueno. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Chris Subolch, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. You can also check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my Facebook page to hear more of my content. And don't forget to check out my website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always, be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. Take care. See you next time. So what, so what?